on, baby. Okay, we're on. Okay, if you are new today, um, this is not normally how chaotic it is. So come back next week, and you'll see it's just a little less chaotic. Um, but my name is Laura Seifert, and we are in the middle of a four-week series on Jesus and women. And we're particularly just looking at Jesus, and his interaction with women indicates more about him than it does about women. His interaction with women indicates the way he turned culture on its head and applied dignity to women when no dignity was ever afforded to them. So, and, and, you, and Sylvia and I were talking about it today. As we watch him interact with women who had no names, who were ostracized from society, who had no rights, who were worse than second-class citizens, who were not much better than slaves, as we watch Jesus interact with him, we also can picture him interacting with men and women of any race, men and women of any demographic, men and women of any socioeconomic status. And so as I watch Jesus interact with this woman today, it will, hopefully, my prayer is it will change the way I interact with anyone that I meet, anyone, regardless. Um, and so that that's my hope, too, for you. And um, there's just no one that's more loving than Christ. There's no one that can penetrate my heart like Him, and the same is true for you. So some of us here today have bumped into Him, but, but not all of us have reached out to Him. And that's what we're looking at today as we look at this woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And so we're going to look at Mark <laughs> chapter 5. But as we read her story, the beautiful thing about it is her story is sandwiched in between the story of a religious leader and his desperate plea for his daughter. So we got to kind of go through both, and we're going to journey through this together. So we're in Mark chapter 5. We're starting in verse 21. Jesus has just healed a man that was possessed by ten demons, and he lived in the Gerasene village, and he was hated and ostracized. And as he healed the man, the people in the village freaked out and they didn't want Jesus to stay for various reasons that we won't get into. So we pick up in verse 21 where Jesus is now leaving this village and he's getting back onto the Sea of Galilee and he's going to the other side of the sea back over to Capernaum. So we find him in verse 21. It says Jesus got into the boat again and he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd had gathered around him on the shore. And as I look out today and I see all of you, I imagine, for me, I feel a burden for you to be comfortable and I want you to feel like you can hear me. And, and I imagine Jesus was feeling the same way, except he didn't have a microphone and there were probably four times the amount of people that had begun to gather around him. But as he is over and he's on the shore, the, the small crowds have now become large crowds. People have now become attuned to his healing. They understand that he has been the only one that has forgiven sins. Only God can forgive sins. He's been doing that. And so the curiosity about Jesus has grown to, to some maximum heights. And so a large crowd is gathered around him on the shore. Now that's important that we know that. 22, it says, Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. Now, the leader of a local synagogue meant that he was probably like our day, uh, everyday pastor. He was the man that was in charge of the synagogue, so he was probably the pastor and the executive pastor all rolled into one. Jairus, so given that, you know his status, what he's doing. He arrives, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet, 
And he pleaded fervently with Jesus. And listen to what he says. He says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. Now when I read that, <clears throat> it, it makes my stomach turn over because I know what it feels like to be flattened by your kids, don't you? If you have children, there's no other jugular to have. That's, that's your jugular is your kids. And so this man is the spiritual leader. This man is the pastor. And what I find to be so beautiful about Jairus is that he doesn't give a rip what people think. He's in that desperate place where his very life depends on it for his kid. And I've thought about that in my own life, and you've probably thought about it in yours. When your kids or your spouse or somebody that you love the most is in pain, you'll do anything to relieve it, will you not? Have y'all seen the movie Terms of Endearment? Just shoot me now. When that, when Shirley MacLaine, who won the Oscar for it, I, I would tell you to go watch it, but it'll flatten you. But her daughter's dying of cancer, and she's in pain, and she wants her daughter to have the shot to relieve the pain. And she, start, she starts out with a nurse, and she's, she's got it together somewhat. And she's saying, could you give her the shot? Could you give her the shot? And the nurse is underwhelmed by it. And finally... Shirley MacLaine's emotions rise to such a level that she's screaming, give my daughter the shot. And when I saw that, I was a, I was a daughter. I saw it with my mom. I, didn't, I wasn't married, didn't have children. And now, and so I thought, she's kind of like a raving lunatic. <laughs> and now I've been that raving lunatic. I've been that raving lunatic. Um, I just, I get that. I know what that's like. It's like, no matter what, if my kid need something, I am on my face before the Lord going, God, I'm pleading to Him and it doesn't matter who sees that. So this is a very public situation and Jairus is a refined pastor. But Jairus in this situation is a desperate dad. And what I love about this is because anyone that is going to lead me spiritually, I need to know that they're broken and they're vulnerable. And you do too. And so your spiritual leaders, wherever you go to church on Sunday or whomever you call your spiritual leader, boy, you pray for them, but you keep your eyes open and you make sure that he or she knows what it's like to be broken before the Lord. You don't want somebody leading spiritually that's always got it going on, always together, always refined. Now, they don't have to be Aaron. Sometimes if you've got somebody that's like going nuts up there, be careful about that. But you know what I'm saying is that this man, he, he is, he's first to identify that he needs Jesus more than anyone in his congregation does. Okay, does that make sense? It's critical um, for your, your sake and mine that we see that among our spiritual leaders. I'll follow anyone that I feel like is real and vulnerable before the Lord. And so should you. So he says, please come lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. Now, I don't know, and I've read a lot of different commentaries about this passage, um, and, and no one seems to know specifically why Jairus thinks he needs to come and lay his hands on him. But I, I would be the same way. I want you to get near her. I want you to touch her. I want you to do whatever you have to do, but I want you to heal her. And so in, in Jairus' mind, he's thinking you, in order for that to happen, the formula is, is you need to come lay hands. So come quickly. Come 
quickly. How many of you have prayed prayers on behalf of others and you've said essentially, come quickly, Lord. Heal now. Redirect immediately. Stop her in her tracks today. Lord, rein that child back in now. Lord, give them what they need to pass this test, Lord. Whatever it is that you're praying for, you're typically not saying, it's okay whenever you get around to it. Right? As mothers, we don't even know what that's like. We don't even know that. As women, we don't really know that. We're like, come now. Come now. You know what? Hosanna means save now. Save now. And that's what Jairus is saying. Come, lay hands on her, heal her so she can live. Her, the daughter is in grave situation. She's dying. So verse 24, Jesus went with Jairus and all the people followed and they're crowding around Jesus. They're crowding around him. And so it's, it's claustrophobic to say the least. And as they crowd around him, it says a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Y'all know what we're talking about. For 12 years, she's suffering with constant bleeding. Okay, now as I've thought through this too, I've thought there are times when bleeding kind of kind of helps me out. You know, you can say, well, it's just that time of the month and I'm sorry, I'm so cranky. And it's kind of, you can get off the hook. But, but that will last for me for about a day. I've got about a day window there, you know, where you're like, okay, now get over that. Let's move on. And so I can't imagine for 12 years what it would be like. I, can't, I really, I can't. But here on top of this, for this sweet woman, notice again she doesn't have a name. Notice again, we don't know what her name is. Because women were, it didn't matter in that day and age. But she suffered a great deal for 12 years. And so Jewish ceremonial law meant that when you were on, when it was that time of the month, for you. Y'all know what I mean? I don't need to describe. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to make it as awkward as I can. <laughs> when that time rolls around, you are literally kind of quarantined for that duration. And you cannot get back into, uh, you don't re-engage with your husband. Do y'all know what I mean by that? Okay, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. Danielle, you know, you're single over here. I just want to make sure. I'm just kidding. You have. That's good, girl. That's good. You heard about it in fifth grade health class. Okay. So anyway, so she is. Um, so in order to come back and, and reconnect with the family, you had to walk down. And I've seen this in Israel, a ceremonial cleansing. It's like a tub. Have y'all seen this? Some of you come from Jewish descent. And you walk down these steps like this and you get cleaned up and you it's like a bath. And then you come back up and then you can re-engage and you can go to church again and you can re-engage in spiritual activity and what have you. So for 12 years... She's been ostracized. So it's been a 12-year-long cycle. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I want you to feel what that would be like. It just, so, so not only is she physically suffering, she's emotionally suffering, she's socially suffering in the sense that she's totally isolated and ostracized. Um, we feel quite certain that she's divorced at this point, and has lost everything. So we go on to see that she suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, suffered a great deal from many doctors in verse 26, and it says, over the years, she had spent everything that she had to pay them, 
But she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. Now, here's what a lot of scholars believe uh, happened back then is that she was flat out taken advantage of. That the doctors knew that there's nothing they can do for her, but they continue to take her money and continue to promise her with some sort of healing method or there's some way. And I read all sorts of just whacked out things that, um, that they would prescribe to help her get better. Like one is if you're holding a drink and somebody frightens you from behind, the jolt of it could work, literally. Just crazy, just crazy stuff. But it sounds absurd to us, but, but walk with me here for just a minute. So she's lost all of her life savings. She's lost her family. She's lost her friends. She's isolated. She's totally alone, and she's got nothing. And now that her money's run out, the doctors have now said there's nothing more we can do for you. Okay? So when I read that upon first reading, I think, oh, that is awful for her. That's horrible for her, which is right. That's a good response. But for me, I want to dive a little bit deeper and go, Lord, okay, where, where am I in this story? Where, where, do I, where am I in this story? So I dig a little bit deeper and I sit there a little longer and I start reading and I start thinking, is there anything in my life that I have struggled with for a long time? What about you? Is there anything in your life that you've struggled with for a long time to the point where you would love to have relief? And it might be chronic pain, it might be chronic anxiety or depression, it might be fear, it might be worry, it might be, it, it can be physical or emotional, it can be a marriage that's been so hard for so long. It might be family members that have been estranged for so hard, so long. But the truth is, what in your life has been a struggle or a battle that you have not been able to get free of for a long time? I want you to sincerely think about that for just a minute. And if you can name something, if something comes to you, I want you to then go a step farther and ask, what, what are the steps that you've taken to get better? What, what have you done? What, what is it that we do? Um, for me, fear, I've shared with you, fear in my early 20s was a real gripping thing in my life, anxiety and fear, and it kind of came out of nowhere. And I didn't know what to do. And so some things that I did is I talked to just a few people that I thought might be able to help me. I got online and started trying to find books related to fear. Um, I did pray some, but I just kind of got more and more paralyzed in it. I just became a little bit more frozen. And I remember um, I got to the point that something woke me up and I realized I had never really taken, taken this to the Lord. I didn't really know to. And I think that's what tends to happen in our lives when you are struggling with something. Maybe you struggled with loneliness. Maybe you've struggled with a dream that's not come to fruition that you're just tired of praying about. But when you battle something for a prolonged period of time, I think what a tendency can happen is you just kind of give up. You just kind of think, well, maybe this is just the way it's always going to be. Maybe this is the way it's always going to be. And what's interesting to me is the difference I find when you see these two people crowded here in this passage. And you see Jairus, whose little girl is sick. And he is bolting his way into the crowd to get to Jesus. And he's right there and he's saying, come quickly, my little girl is dying. 
and you see this boldness. And then we look at this lady, and we're going to see that she's bold too. But what has convicted me about this passage is that I will so quickly run to the Lord on behalf of my children. I will run and get on my face, and I will ask whatever it takes. And I don't think about it. I don't think, am I worthy to ask this? It doesn't. Yeah, I am. These children are precious. You've knit them together in my womb. I'll come to you and I'll plead until, for however long it takes. And you see that in Scripture. You see the woman that's pulling on the judge's robe on behalf of her children. You see women, Hannah, begging the Lord for a child, saying, if you give me a kid, I'll give him right back to you. You see Mary um, praying on behalf of her child. But when it comes to me, sometimes I shrink back and I go, well, let me just figure out some ways to cope with this. Let me figure out some ways I'm going to handle this on my own. Sometimes I'm doing it because I want to stay in control, but other times I'm doing it because I don't really know, I'm not thinking to go to him for me. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what has um, just really jumped off the page to me about this woman because she is dirty and diseased to these people. It's not the time of the month. Her time of the month has moved into a dirty disease. And because she's diseased, she's ostracized, just like every other man and woman. It's, she might as well have leprosy. So she's ostracized. So the fact that she is going to move her way into a crowd describes to me a woman that I want to be like. It also describes to me a woman that is tired and desperate and needs healing needs healing. So it says in verse 27, it says, she'd heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Now, why'd she do that? 28 tells us, it says, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. If I can just touch his robe. Let me tell you about that. Jewish teachers, they wore an out, outer garment that was a robe and it had four tassels, one on each side, two in the front, two in the back. And it was an outer garment, and so it was almost like a coat, if you will. And the tassels were just reminders to pray. And, um, and so she's thinking, God bless her, if I touch his outer garment, he's not going to be defiled. I'm just going to touch the outer garment. And so on one hand, she's thinking, okay, this, I, can, I can do that. But what's, what's amazing me is her faith is if I can just touch it, I know I'll be healed. I know I'll be healed. And she's not thinking the coat's got the power. She's thinking Jesus has the power. So let's go on. It says, if I can just touch this robe, I'll be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. And Jesus, in verse 30, it says, realized that one, he realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. And so he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? Now here's what's important is that throughout the, throughout the Gospels, when you see Jesus healing, you don't ever see him communicate about a surge of power going out. This is the only time you see it, which is another thing about Jesus that I love is he never does anything the same way. And he's not going to do it. He's going to heal Jairus' daughter and he's going to heal this woman. And he'll do it in two completely ways, two completely different ways. I love Jesus in the sense that he is, he's never dull. He's never predictable. He's always changing and he's always an adventure. And women, whether you come in touch with that or not, you were wired for adventures. That's why we like the guys on the motorcycles because they represent some sort of wild adventure. 
That's why Thelma and Louise did so great in the box offices because there's something in us that we want to be. We don't want to be the adventure, but we want to be caught up in it. That's why when we date a guy and he's too obsessed with us, it turns us off, right? We want to be caught up in the adventure. The Lord wired us to be that way. And so we want to be caught up in Jesus. And so here's the thing that I pray over my daughter who's six. I pray not that she obeys well, even though that would be really helpful. (laughs) But my prayer for her and for Ben, but especially for Beth, is that she loves and is enraptured by Jesus more than she is Hannah Montana, more than she is the Disney 7 Super, whatever these girls are, more than she is with the the cute boy. Because I didn't fall in love and become enraptured by him until I was in my late 20s. And boy, it would have saved me a whole lot of grief. And so I'm praying that, and I would challenge you, pray that over yourself and your kids. Lord, I want to fall in love with you. So if you've not read Scripture, if it's been hard for you, my challenge to you, what's made it come alive, start in the Gospels, and you just start studying Jesus. Start studying the way He interacts with people. Look at the way He turns culture on its head. Follow Him, and the obedience will come. In John, He says, if you love me, You'll obey me. And he's not saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. Now, prove you love me by your obedience. He's saying, listen, if you love me, you're going to obey me. Love me. Love me. How do I love him? i got to know him. I've got to know him. And part of how I fall in love with Jesus is watching the way he interacts with these people. And so this woman has touched his robe. He's felt the surge of energy go out. And he turns and he says, who touched my robe? Now, here's the thing about Jesus. He knows who touched his robe. He's God. He's God. And so right here, he's about to do something that is just like, is just as risky as last week when he said, you who's without sin, pick up that stone and throw it at this woman. So what he's about to do upon my appearance is he's about to shame this woman. Don't call her out, Lord. Don't call her out. She's the one that nobody wants to be around. She is hidden and she has figured out a way to get in this big crowd without being noticed. Don't call her out. Don't call her out. And he's exactly going to call her out. He's going to do it because it's a step for healing for her. Now watch this. It says, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? L- listen, the disciples will always make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> they will. I'll just leave it there. But verse 32 says, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Now, just stop for a second. Um, Have you ever had an encounter with the Lord that's all your own? And it can be in your car, it can be in your shower, it can be at church, it can be here, it can be on your couch when you've opened the Word by yourself. I don't care. It can be be in nature, it can be wherever. But you know when you've encountered God Almighty. And I can tell you in my life, when I have, it is incredible. And, And what it does for me is it causes me to go... Um, frightened in the sense that, well, she's frightened because she doesn't know how he's going to respond. But you get frightened in an awestruck way of like, I can't believe he sees me. I can't believe this is real. This whole thing about Christ is actually real. And two, he sees me and he actually is a healer. You know, his name is Jehovah Rapha, which means our God, our healer. And he actually does heal. Y'all, he healed me from anxiety. 
healed me. Because I got to the place like this woman, I thought, if you don't come through, I'm, I'm toast. I'm toast. And little by little, he started to nurse me back to health. And I'm telling you, I was like, okay, he's real. <laughs> he's just not my mama and daddy's God anymore. He's real. He's not what my Sunday school teacher. No, I know him. I know him. Listen, that's what will sustain you. I'll say that to the end. That's what will sustain you is that kind of encounter. And so she, he turns and he looks and he's trying to find her. And then she comes clean. Remember, we talked about that last week. You always got to come clean before the Lord. That's your step toward interaction and healing. And so she falls and she's trembling and she tells him what, she tells him what she's done. And then what he says to her. Now, mind you, everyone has stopped. Because everyone's following him. So the whole crowd is watching her. The woman that's been bleeding for 12 years that nobody wants to be around. This would have horrified her. Had she known this might be the result, she would have never showed up. Guarantee it. But she's so desperate. She's like, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Now I'm just going to go back home. But I'm just going to touch his robe. I'm going to touch his robe. Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, daughter. He doesn't say woman. Right? Because nobody wants her to be their daughter anymore. So he's speaking a term of affection and love, and he's connecting himself with her. What he's saying is, you're mine. You are mine. You're mine. You're not just a woman I healed. You're my daughter. That's how he sees you. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So before we move on just a little bit, I want to stop quickly. And I want you to go back to whatever it is that came to your mind when I ask you, is there anything you've struggled with for a long time? Is there anything that you would love to touch his robe and know that that thing would be healed and go away and restored? Okay, name that in your mind. Second is, I want to ask you, when have you reached out to Jesus about it? Now, I don't mean, okay, I did it a week ago, nothing's happened, so I'm tired of doing it. But here's the thing that I think is interesting. There were a lot of men and women in that crowd that were bumping into Jesus and touching him. Right? But when he took notice, it was because a woman had faith in him and reached up and touched his garment. He knows the difference between men and women that just bump into him and those that reach out to touch him. Do you see the difference? It's critical because it feels safest to just bump into him. I'm just going to come here. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do my thing. But I'm going to just contemplate in my mind what I think about him. And I'm just going to keep it up here because this is where it's safe and it doesn't cost me anything. But let me just say, the day will come and you will be desperate. And it might be on behalf of your children. And I don't care what it is, but the day will come when your self-help books don't work anymore. When the therapist no longer has the right answer. When the Xanax doesn't take the edge off anymore. When the bottle of wine doesn't taste as good. When Target doesn't do the trick. When whatever, Nordstrom's, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? And the reason I can say it is because I understand it. I live it with you. The day comes when if I don't reach out to him, I am going down. <laughs> And so my challenge to you and me is don't wait till you're in that desperate place. Some of you already are, and that's okay. But my point is reach out. Get some skin in the game in your relationship with Jesus. Listen, you can come here, and please do. Don't ever stop coming. 
We, if we have to meet in the parking lot, we will do it. But, but keep coming. But here's the thing. This will get tiresome. Because here's the thing. You'll get tired of bumping into him. And you'll go, I, I don't really see why. I, I don't feel like it's really working. I don't really get it anymore. And you'll drift off. And you may come back for a little bit. You'll drift off. But when you reach out and you go, you know what, I don't know what this is going to cost me. And I'm scared that I'm going to start praying about this and get in the game. And you may not answer. Or you may not uh, respond the way I want you to. You may not respond in the time that I want you to. I don't know. But our fear of disappointment, our fear of rejection, our fear of whatever it is, has got to lessen. And what has to rise is a sense of, I don't care what it takes. I'm reaching out. I'm touching him. I've got to touch him. I've got to engage with him for myself. I used to sit and listen to a Bible teacher teach, Beth Moore, at Houston's First when I was in my 20s. And I would watch her teach, and I would bump into Jesus, and I'd be like, I would love to have what she has, because she loves him. I, I never wanted, it was never like I want the platform, I want the, I, I want the love that she has for him. And you know what? I started dealing with some anxiety that brought me to my knees, and I got in his face, and, and, and all of a sudden, he became real. And he started ministering to me, and I started going, okay, this really, this really works, <laughs> I can't go to sleep tonight until I hear from Oh, there he is. There he is. And then all of a sudden, my love began to develop. And now my heart and my love for him is all my own. It's all my own. And so I want that for each one of us. And so get some skin in the game. Ladies, you'll be glad you did. Now, I want to, we've got five minutes left, so I want to pick back up where Jairus is. Because what Jesus has just done is he's called this woman out into a public place and said, daughter, you're well. So every eye is on her. And he's done that for two reasons. One, and chiefly, is it brings him glory. So we see, okay, God's healed. God's really heals. So when you see God working in other people's life, it builds your faith. That's why we do the say-so time, which she affectionately calls sowing seeds. But at the end, when we say, stand up, if, if God's minister to you if you've learned something tell us because it builds our faith so Jesus is doing that he's calling her out publicly because he's uh, bringing glory to himself and the second thing that I love is he's restoring his daughter publicly you are clean you are well and he is declaring it he's saying you're not you don't have to walk away and go oh gosh I hope it doesn't come back next week you're clean your suffering is gone and everybody needs to know that that's the way Jesus works. He's restoring dignity. All right, now that Sue's leaving, we're going to start talking about you. It's getting good, Sue. No, we're just talking about sin. So now it's time for you to come back in, Sue. Just kidding. Okay, so here we move on to Jairus. And it says, While he's still speaking to this woman, messengers arrive from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they say to him, Your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Don't let this be lost on you. I've got to move through quickly. Don't let it be lost on you. Here's what happens. They think in order for her to be healed, he's got to come lay hands on her. He didn't get there in time. Now she's dead, so it's over. So what is it in your life that seems dead and you think there's no use praying about it anymore? It's gone. It's gone. Is it your marriage? Is your marriage dead? Do you have a child that's so far gone you can't imagine? Do you have something in your life that you think, I'm always going to battle with this, there's no use in, in bothering the teacher again? 
don't ever underestimate the power and the love and the grace that resides with Christ. Don't ever. He, can, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He resurrected himself. So, don't bother troubling the teacher again. Jesus overhears this and says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Have faith. Don't be afraid. Have faith. Some of you just need to hear that today. Don't be afraid and have faith. Listen, your miracle, your answer, your provision may not come in the formula or the method in which you think it ought. And that doesn't mean that God has stopped working, though. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. You may think, I thought I should be married by the age I'm 22. I'm an Aggie. Everyone gets married by 22. I'm doomed. 23 comes, 24 comes, 25 comes, 26 comes, 27 comes. Well, I don't even know if I should pray. I'm just tired. Right? Listen. Listen. If I had married some Yahoo before I met Jason, I'd be divorced and, and it'd be a hot mess. And so, so God was working even though in my mind the method had failed. Right? Okay? So I want you to think about that in your life and in your circumstance. Jairus is grieving, rightly so. And Jesus says, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Okay? Just believe. What is he saying? Believe in what? Believe in me. Don't believe in the method. Don't believe in my hand, but believe in my heart. Believe in me. And so it says, then Jesus stopped the crowd and he wouldn't let anyone go in except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus, Jesus saw much commotion, weeping and wailing. You know, a lot of scholars say that this little girl was so loved. She was 12 years old. That she was so beloved that the whole community is wailing. We lost a little girl to an accident in our neck of the woods down in Clear Lake. Tragically on her birthday. You probably saw it on the news. Five years old. Five years old. A lot of my friends knew this family. We, we grieved, grieved over it. So um, I get that. They're, they're grieving and they're wailing. And Jesus goes inside and there's men and women inside loving this family, weeping with them. And Jesus says, why? All this commotion and weeping. The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Don't you just love how Jesus is like, who are you? They, oh, you? Oh, you're God. Okay, you can say that. Verse 40, but look at the way the, the crowd responds the same way I do. They laugh at him. They're like, what? But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying and holding her hand. He's so tender. He holds this little girl's hands, and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Now, a, a way you can um, interpret this is not like, little girl, get up. He's saying, um, it's an affectionate term, almost like he's saying, honey, honey, come on, get up. It, it, in one breath, he can, he can make everyone go away and say, get away from me, you mockers. And then the next minute, he's saying, baby doll, come on, get up. He's so tender, and he's so powerful at the same time. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. A couple things I'll touch on. The reason Jesus says, don't tell anybody that this has happened, that seems kind of weird, doesn't it? It's like, why wouldn't you? Go tell everybody. If I've done something good, it's like, tell the world. Well, the reason is, is because he's risen, he's, he, he's, um, this child has arisen from the dead on his behalf. And he knows the greatest resurrection will happen with himself. 
And so what he's doing is he's like, let's, let's downplay this miracle for a bit because the greater miracle's coming. And so all eyes need to be focused in that direction. And so he's downplaying some things as he goes. There's a strategy behind everything he does. But that's what I've read the most. Most scholars believe that's why um, he would tell them not to tell what had happened. And then he tells them to give her something to eat. I love that. Don't ever um, believe for a second that Jesus doesn't care about the minutia of your life. Okay, give her something to eat, which means she's well enough that she's hungry, but also he's going to take care of those little needs that you think are too petty to ask him about. Maybe that's why you haven't come to him with it. Maybe that's why you're afraid to touch his robe, because in the grand scheme, you don't have a daughter that's dying. So you'll just deal with this. Okay, just stop that. That's the enemy. If it's, if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to him. Don't downplay it. Cast all your cares on me is what Jesus says through Peter, because he cares for you so much. Okay, it says, um, well, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop because it's 103. Um, let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you, uh, you keep us on our toes, Lord. And, and yet when you do, you're, the thread that, run, that runs among you is goodness. Lord, it may not be answered the way I think or want, and you may even take me to a deep place of grief like Jairus for a little while. But Lord, mourning always ends with joy, Lord. Laughter will always come if we just believe in you. And so I pray today, if there's any of us that have believed in a method or a formula or a behavior um, system in order to get our needs met, I pray that we would relinquish that and come to you instead and allow you to lead us as you see fit. Lord, you love us, and nothing in our life is lost on you. You see it and you care about it, and I pray that we would be encouraged by that today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Y'all, thank you so much for your patience today. I appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Oh, I started, started snotting up there. Skinny jeans. Hold on.